The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. I am Seema Vasu, your host. I'm excited to welcome Nihal Advani, who is the CEO of Qualsites. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Doing great. How are you? Good, good. Um, You've been on a really fun journey, founding your business and kind of just starting, pivoting. I'd love to get into that. But before we do that, Mm -hmm. just a little bit about your story. Who are you and, you know, kind of what brings you here today? Sure, yeah. So I'm Mihal. I grew up in India. You know, in my um, early days, I, I played tennis uh, for India, which is what kind of got me traveling early on. And uh, when I was 18, I decided to come to the U.S. Uh, for college, play college tennis and also study and have a education. And that then got me very excited while I was at Google into tech. And when I graduated, I decided to kind of continue in tech, eventually leaving. Well, I was at Microsoft after graduation, but leaving Microsoft to start my own thing. So that's a quick version. Very of cool. Yeah. Actually, I don't even if if you remember this, but I'm curious. How did you feel when you were on that plane ride over? You know, I don't remember to be honest, like very clearly. But uh-huh. I had been to the U.S. once before. I had come here just to play tennis tournaments and stuff when I was 17. So, I, but I'd been only to Fort Lauderdale and to New yeah. York, and so I was going to Arkansas this time. Very different. <laughs> and I picked based on the tennis program. It was different, and I I didn't know what to expect. I assumed it would be. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a smaller town. I assumed it would be similar but different mm-hmm. i was very wrong it was very different <laughs> uh, and so that was a culture shock a little bit but i don't remember exactly i was obviously excited because you know it was a exciting new journey to be you know coming to the us you know staying a long time you know having uh, in team tennis which is very different yeah. from individual tennis when you're playing in the juniors so um all of that was very exciting that's cool i know i think about like people who forge their way to the U.S. and kind of all the possibilities of what can be. And it's yep. exciting to hear and see what people think about when they get come here. So you did college. I know you transferred to Stony Brook eventually. Yep. A- and, and then tell me, like, what made you, did you work anywhere after college or did you just go right into entrepreneurship? No, I actually worked. So I was at, at Google as an intern uh, in my junior year. You know, I had this business professor who had us follow uh, a company during mm. our first kind of real business class. And I decided to follow Google, got really excited uh, about it and decided to apply to Google and got really, really, really lucky getting into you That's know, amazing. one of the 10 uh, spots yeah. that they had out of the 3,100 something people that apparently applied. And I was one of only two like non-Ivy League. Uh, wow. So it was really, really exciting. Got really excited about Google, just media and advertising. And my parents have both been in the advertising world. So I guess okay. it's in my blood a little bit. Yep. But when I graduated, I decided to pick Microsoft over Google. That's right. That's and, right. And um, went there for five years in a variety of different roles. So I worked in a corporate job for five years, learned the ropes a little bit before I, I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do my thing, my own mm. thing the whole time. You always but knew I that? I knew I needed. I always knew. Even in college, I wanted to like, eventually do my own thing but for mm. two reasons one a i needed to learn you know yeah. being at you know a job but b 
I also didn't have the right visa status and things to just sure. to stay in the country and kind of start my own company at the time. So both those reasons kind of made me go the corporate route first and then quit in the thing. What was the differentiator for you to be picked out of 3,000 applicants, one of two non-Ivy League applicants that got into that program at Google? I have a pretty good idea. So <laughs> obviously on the resume, right, there was so yeah. many other strong, way stronger perhaps candidates with way better, you know, brand name schools and Ivy sure. Leagues and, and all of that. The thing that was different about me, I think it was twofold. One was the fact that I had actually played around with Google. So even while in my college uh, years, I had built a guitar tabs website and nice. had done Google AdSense and so I had really You're familiar, yeah. Program. Uh, I had learned about Google's every department, you know, for a whole semester, mm. and really like written papers on every department at Google. I, love so I that. just knew it inside out. So the second I had the interview, I knew I had, I had a very very strong chance because it was getting to the interview among the pile of resumes that was yes. hard. And I think what helped me there was having that sports. Right? Good I, for I you. Had, you know, four point GPA and all that stuff. Yeah. But that matters less. It was I think the sports that allowed you know me to kind of maybe kind of look different in the pile. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the fact that I had some experience with Google and then the interviews, I crushed the interviews. That's awesome. So let's do a small tangent. What do you think the importance of sports is here in business? I think it's very, I mean, again, I'm biased, of course, but of I course. think it's very important because it taught me, especially, you know, even college tennis, like sports in general teaches you passion and determination and persistence and all of the, the great qualities you need as an mm -hmm. entrepreneur. But then team sports, like in college tennis in the U.S., teach you teamwork, leadership, all of these different things. And so having all of that and being able to bring all of that mm -hmm. into both my corporate job and uh, my own entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneurial journey has been invaluable to me. I think you learn to work with others, right? And you, yep, learn to you deal celebrate with the success. Learn, learn yep. to deal with losses, learn yes. to celebrate the wins, yep. learn to keep going at it, not give up, so many things. So and refine and fine learn tune, to be yeah. Disciplined, right? Learn to, you know, get to practice on time every day and, yeah. you know, work eight hours a day on something or the other related tennis. And, you know, just doing that since I was 13 and a half. That's great. Uh, that was kind of late in the game, but I started late, but it worked out thankfully anyway. Um, but doing that since I was young yeah. got me very, very disciplined and my, my focus is very strong. As well. I mean, I hear what you're saying that it's late, but in some ways I feel like you're mature enough to deal with yes. the discipline, right? So sometimes when you start yes. younger, it's a little harder because you don't really understand it versus when you're, exactly. I mean, 13 is not even older, but like when you're 13, you have yeah. a little bit more maturity to say, yeah. oh, I get like I have to work, cause and effect. You understand that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes when you, many times, in fact, when kids are really young, like four and six, I mean, it's the parents that have kind of yes. really pushed them, pushed them the along. Yeah. You know, uh, in my case, that was completely the opposite. I kind of got into myself and therefore I was hungrier growing up. So then tell me, you started, you know, you were at Microsoft, you decided to do your own thing. I think you've had a couple of pivots. Tell us a little bit about, you know, when you first started your company. Yeah. So when I first quit Microsoft in 2012, I started a travel planning company called Jurama. The fun fact is we are still legally Jurama Inc. today doing business as Qualsite. So it's still the same company. That's cool. Made a couple of major pivots along the way <laughs> from a travel planning, uh, you know, startup to, uh, you know, consumer insights uh, startup. So, you know, when we first started, it was a recommendation engine to help people find where to go because I'm a big traveler. And yep. even till today, you know, TripAdvisor is fantastic to help you find what to do when you know where to go, but not necessarily help you find where to go based on budget and high-level activities. Right, interests, like yeah. That. So, exactly. So, that was what it was all about. We had a few hundred thousand users, but when we're making enough sustainable revenue because booking was a commodity and, mm -hmm. you know, comparison shopping and all that. So, we basically 
learned the hard way that, okay, this is not going to be the winner here. Let's pivot it into what was really novel at the time in 2014. We actually have a patent on this. Uh, is the ability to travel virtually through mm. somebody else already on the ground. This is before live video was you know, a sexy thing. Oh, that's before cool. Start, yeah. Facebook, like, before even Periscope and Meerkat. And we did that, not just B2C, we actually did B2B. So we did you know, tourism, you know, organizations like the State Tourism Board of Michigan and Illinois were clients of ours. NASA was a client of ours for virtual field trips. Many wow. universities were clients of ours for campus tours. So we started to have some decent clients because mm-hmm. we had great technology, even in the inspection world. Marriott was a client for, of ours, for example. However, we found that we were trying to do too much. We were trying mm. to help, so, you know, solve every use case where somebody couldn't physically go somewhere helping them go virtually through somebody else, you know, through live video, yeah. attractive live video. Mm-hmm. And so in 2017, we got into 500 startups out of the Valley, one of the you know, accelerators, and used that program with the single purpose of, you know, let's find the one vertical. And we had about seven or eight. Ironically, one of them um, we had kind of put into the hat. Uh, hadn't really thought too much about it, was right. Insights. And that's because we had a couple of investors that had come in into one of our rounds from the Insights world and said, hey, this could be interesting in Insights. So that's how we put it in the hat. But then when we did the research and talked to, you know, industry, in fact, you know, Simon Chadwick is one of the ones I, oh, I yeah. to, in, fact, uh, in the early days and a few others. And we talked to them about what we had, as well as, of course, the actual sales tests and email marketing and things like that. We found there was a night and day difference in terms of this particular, you know, industry for some reason was really resonating with the value proposition of, um, you know, being able to kind of do ethnography, but do it remotely and things like that. And so in 2018, we made the hard pivot to completely stop everything else. Wow. Focus purely on insights. Still were called Jirama when we first got in for the first like eight eight or so yeah, months. Yeah. It was October, November of 2018 that we, we kind of rebranded to Qualsites and went from what we initially were, which was a live video remote ethnography play okay. to uh, all-in-one qualitative suite because we realized that we were too far ahead of the game. This was, of course, pre-COVID and in general at the time, uh, people were doing a lot more in-person interviews and focus groups. Okay. And we were talking about remote ethnography done live. So live shop-alongs, live remote shop-alongs, live remote in-home usage tests and things like that. Super great, but, you know, it was very niche. And we realized that unlike in Quant, where you have all these big players, you know, a couple of clear leaders. Sure. In Qual, uh, there's no clear leader even today. Mm-hmm. So we said, hey, why not try to be that leader having an all-in-one suite? And that's where we kind of rebranded to Qual Sites, which is a one-stop shop for deep consumer insights, but done fast and done at scale. So I would imagine, I mean, when you say 2018, you were probably ahead of the curve. People probably are like, right, virtual, what are you talking about? I still do everything in person. But when COVID hit, I would imagine your business accelerated tremendously. It did. It did. Now, luckily, you know, even pre-COVID, so 2018 was our first year. We had some pilots, you know, some basic customers. 2019, we started to grow a little bit. 2020, even pre-COVID, that first quarter, we had done you know, uh, we had our first million, in fact, in that in revenue. And that was really where we were like, wait a second, like this is really it's hitting our first couple of anchor yeah. customers that yeah. really started to grow with us. And so we were already, you know, the right in the momentum. Mm. And then, of course, COVID hit. So we did get an accelerator like every other sure. company, digital core company, I would imagine. But we did the math and we found out that while it accelerated us and of course it accelerated the industry in general, mm. it wasn't the reason, you know, we grew as fast as we did. It was kind of a combination of having that momentum and being mm. you know, having the platform that we did and then have it we basically was a kicker on top. Got it, got it. Which was nice because then otherwise post COVID we would have seen a drop, which we haven't and we've gotten here to kind of keep scaling, which is really exciting. I mean, don't you think though also COVID forced a lot of people to change their attitudes and behaviors 100%. as it relates to qual I mean to life in general, but let's say qualitative yeah. research, right? In person. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because 
I think many people were kind of apprehensive about, you know, doing a remote call. They yes. just didn't think it was good enough. You think meeting someone is the best way. And yeah, there are some cases in mm-hmm. which that is great and you can't afford it or you can't have the time and budget and all of that. But COVID kind of forced everyone digital, mm-hmm. which then forced them to try tools that they otherwise may not have tried, whether it was the simple tools like Zoom mm-hmm. or whether it was, you know, the more research focused tools like ours and others. And I think the advantages they saw is not just the, the speed at which they could do things mm-hmm. and the ease at which they could do things, but especially with platforms like ours, they also start to find, wow, we have all these other tools mm. in terms of AI and things to help us make sense of this data. And while some folks were more, you know, legacy in that just doing in-person focus group interviews, they got to see, of course, even just doing that remotely gave them all these additional tools and you know, analysis capabilities and things. Others, including the legacy folks, started to realize there's much more you can do remotely. There's much right. more you can do with digital call, not just interviews and focus groups. In general, the best way to do things is ethnography. And ethnography, in fact, even pre-COVID, was something that people didn't have the time or money. Usually, mm. some companies, of course, were, were doing it, but just not enough. Everyone you asked, they would love to do it, but it was but just it's too so expensive. Much work. Yeah. Too expensive and too much work and, and too labor intensive and all of that stuff. And so, being able to show them how you can do remote ethnography, but do it, you know, really, really strongly where you can, you know, today, even when you're doing whether digital or in person, doing an in person interview or focus group, for behavior mm. is the wrong methodology. It's something that's focused on recall. Mm-hmm. You can't say, hey, Seema, last week when you went to the store, what did you notice first? Because you, like every other human, has no recollection right. of that. You just don't store that kind of information. Yeah. Similarly, usage tests. Like you may ask someone how they use something. They may or may not remember, but many a time, even if they try to remember, they what they say and what they actually do is different. Seeing mm-hmm. is believing. Seeing, mm-hmm. observing is the best way to do it. And that's really where we start to get the ability to show more clients who mm. are perhaps otherwise anti-digital to realize that these capabilities, the digital way and mobile way to capture insights in person, in the natural environment, as consumers are cooking, cleaning, shopping, eating, that is much more powerful. So you talk about end-to-end process, the platform enables the entire process. Just share a little bit about where do you start and where do you end in terms of what Absolutely. you offer? So any kind of you know core project or any research project in general has four stages in my mind. There's recruiting, there's capturing, there's analyzing, and there's presenting. Yep. For recruiting, we purposefully did not create our own panel. You know, okay. We found that other companies, yep. the Qualtech companies, were trying to do their own panel. A, didn't have a large enough panel. B, really had a few, a small percentage of those being active users and, you know, our clients were seeing, you know, the same people over and over, which sure. they hate to see. So to have a much broader spread of users and to right. be able to have very, you know, micro-targeting, we decided to do a partner strategy on the recruiting side. So while we help with recruiting, it's a flexible model where if a client has their own panel that they'd like to use, their own customer list that they like to use, or their own vendor, they're welcome to do so. Or if they'd like to use us, we openly say we use partners, but we have a wide array of partners around the world that some of which we're plugged into so we can be faster than the traditional call and of course be high quality. Sure. So that's how we handle recruiting. Our platform starts with the capture side. So once some consumer okay. is recruited, whether through our platform or into our efforts or through someone else's, uh, they get a quick code to download our app and essentially um, you know, a description of what the thing is. So once they recruit it, they see that, they click that link, opens up the app store, they download the app. Mobile is, I'd say, 90% of what we do. We can do ideas and focus groups also on mobile, but of course, if a client says they want to do a computer because they have large stimuli, if they want to see, you know, a focus group typically is something they'd like on a larger screen because they want to see all the faces more clearly, all of that, they can essentially do that as well, should they want to. But most of the projects we do is our mobile first, just because okay. that's where you have the true in-context behavioral stuff. Yep. So with the capturing, we offer a wide variety of methodologies, you know, the diaries, you know, IDIs, 
focus groups, video surveys, like we even do things like barcode capture and receipt capture and all kinds of things so you can really mix and match a variety of different tools and methodologies to get the nuance you need in quality. So we do have the broadest suite uh, in terms of capturing data. Okay. And then, of course, because this is all typically unstructured and it is heavy on video and audio, we help with the suite of AI tools to help analyze that data and almost mm. quantify to all or structure that unstructured data. So from the basics like transcriptions and translations in 120 or so languages to NLP-based you know, keyword and topic uh, generation, sentiment and emotion analysis, object and scene recognition, a wide variety of things to really help them find the moments that matter fast and have the AI be the assistant for the human. You still mm. need a human because of you course. still believe it requires yeah. a human to understand human nuance. But the AI helps that human as an assistant to be faster and better at their job. And then finally, we have a presentation capability because you can then take those moments, not just, you know, we also have some quantification, right? So you can take some charts, but you can also take the videos and photos nice. and audio and anything that you may have captured and drag that into an entire slide deck that you created in that platform that you can share digitally or download to PowerPoint with one click. So it's the end-to-end kind of start to finish. That sounds really robust. Actually, yeah, it is. It took a long time to get there, but yeah, it's something that's really that. And that's what makes us kind of different uh, in that we're the only ones that really have this entire, not just the breadth, but also the depth in terms of uh, the capabilities. Now, I would imagine the AI or the uh, natural language processing, you learn as you do more types of studies, you talk about more industries, even segments of people. Are there, is there specialty areas that you focus on? Is it consumer packaged goods? Is it tech? Is it media? How does that work in terms of positioning? Absolutely. Yeah. So we have clients across a wide variety of industries, you know, okay. CPG, of course, uh, but also pharma and tech and retail mm-hmm. and others. That said, we are for this long with CPG. It's okay. where we started. It's where you know we've had we have limited bandwidth as a team. And so we basically decided to kind of double down on CPG at one point. So our outbound efforts tend to be focused more on CPG right now because we have only one salesperson actually in the company. Yeah. Uh, we're changing that in a few months. But that said, something that can be used uh, very well across industries. Of course, certain methodologies like behavior and things mm-hmm. work better when you have offline physical sure. goods, you know. So, you know, while an Amazon.com could use us for a wide variety of things, it's still a manufacturer, whether that be a pharmaceutical, a CPG, a tech company, that's likely going to have the ability to use all of our capabilities considering the behavior and things like that. So, and are you seeing similar use cases in the different verticals, meaning new trial, let's say, of a product or yeah. in-home usage tests? like a higher index towards different use cases of the research? Yeah, so innovation is a broad mm-hmm. term. Yes. Is where we do a lot, a majority of what we're okay. Now, anywhere across that spectrum. So it could be from early stage, white space exploration, white job space. Done, yep. things like that, to concepts when they're ready, you know, early stage concepts, but video reactions to those concepts yes. rather yes. than a traditional survey, to a lot of prototype testing, whether that be, you know, usage tests for household good or whether that be, you know, consumable food and beverage sample yep. test to then first mode of truth in store, kind of seeing how products being is, is, is how people are reacting to a product mm-hmm. first mode of truth on the shelf, to then consumption and use over time. So anywhere across the product okay. cycle and innovation, renovation, optimization, kind of those are the majority of the things we do. Although we do things around that, outside of that, those tend to be uh, a big amount of the work we have. And question for you, why do consumers participate in this type of research, do you think? Yeah, so I mean, Qual in general, right, makes them a good amount of money. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're we're paying consumers typically a dollar to two dollars a minute. So mm-hmm. that's you know a decent amount. We're doing basically thirty minutes of work. Yeah, sixty dollars. Like that's yeah. not bad. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, it's something that allows uh, them to make a good side money. They also like to provide feedback, you know, to help improve products and services. So that's, that's another draw. But of course, it is a financial draw first and foremost. And a quick way to kind of do what you're already doing, especially with technologies like ours. Mm-hmm. We want them to do cook and clean and shop and yeah. eat like they normally are. 
So just do what you're doing, make some money while they're doing it. Why not? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Very true. And so what does the future hold? So the future is really, really exciting. In fact, uh, you know, just get it gearing up. Uh, in early November, we're going to make a big launch announcement. I'm not allowed to, you know, talk about it yet and ruin the surprise. But there's some really exciting things around behavior uh, that we are, are launching that are very, very different from what we do so, uh, <laughs> today. And so that's something that is kind of new on the horizon uh, by early November, as I expect the time to kind of go public with it. That's fantastic. Well, it sounds like the future's bright. You're doing a lot of cool things. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and learning about all your great successes. Uh, thank you. Uh, same here. Fingers crossed. You know, uh, we're on the right track. Still a long way to go. We always have so many great things we can do. And I've got a great pipeline of things coming. But uh, yeah, excited to see what lies ahead. There's always a long way to go. Just celebrate each day. That's, that's actually what I'm learning. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's, that's a great, great, yeah. great way to do it. Thank you, Neha. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling programming and hosting services or consultation, we are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.datagurusepodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.datagurusepodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.